Tom Borelli is a PhD molecular biologist turned political activist and a Newsmax contributor. Deneen Borelli is the author of Blacklash and a Fox News contributor. They're the Borellis, exposing government corruption and championing freedom, giving you the truth in black and white. This is Reigniting Liberty. Hey folks, thanks for checking out Reigniting Liberty. I'm Deneen Borelli and Dr. Tom Borelli is in the house bringing you the truth in black and white. We have a wonderful guest joining us today, folks. Her name is Francie Hakes. She is a former state and federal prosecutor. Francie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deneen. Hi, Tom. How are y'all? Great. We're great. We're great. Yes, Thank very you. excited. Yep. And if, so, and if uh, I get in trouble, I want you to represent me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to do the other side, Tom, but for you, I'll do it. Good. <laughs> but he didn't right. say in trouble with who? Me yeah. or the oh, FBI? True. <laughs> I am not taking on Deneen Borelli. Not oh, <laughs> Oh, you're cute. Well, thank you for joining us. And we do want to discuss all things FBI because the Borelli household is still shocked about this whole thing. What were your initial thoughts when you saw this come across in the news that the FBI had raided President Trump's home in Florida? Yeah, you know, Deneen and Tom, I, like you, was shocked. I mean, as a former state and federal prosecutor, but chiefly in my role as a federal prosecutor, I've signed off on, taken up to the judge with agents, you know, hundreds and hundreds of federal search warrants. And so I know what it generally takes, but this was absolutely unprecedented. I have called it, to me, the most significant search warrant ever executed in the history of the country. It's just never been done before. We've never taken the step of executing a criminal search warrant against a former president. And of course, you've got the complicating politics factor of him being a likely, immediately future candidate for president again. And so I think my first reaction was shock and anger. And I couldn't help but think about the Russia hoax, which I've written about a bunch in the Hill and the DC Examiner and, you know, all over Twitter and everywhere I could think of, because that I thought was a really dark chapter in our history. And my first answer in my own mind was, wow, is this, is this the Russia hoax all over again? Now, Francie, we're excited to have you on today because of your experience as a state and federal prosecutor. And a lot of these issues and terms are really new to listeners and viewers. And we really wanted to uh, draw upon your expertise in terms of more or less what's a normal warrant and uh, what did what we see with President the warrant against President Trump. You know, like in most things in life, there's like the bell curve in distribution. There's somewhere a normal kind of search warrant. But in this search warrant, was it overly broad and was it? really on the tails of such of a, of the distribution curve. In other words, was it special for Trump? Yeah, that's a great question, Dr. Tom Borelli. Um, 
Okay, so first a quick primer for people who may not be that familiar with criminal procedure. A search warrant is uh, given by a process under the Constitution because under the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, people have a right to be secure in their person and their property from unreasonable searches and seizures. So what that really boils down to is we, the government, have to go before a judge who's neutral because they're not investigating or prosecuting a case. We have to go before a neutral judge and give them probable cause. Probable cause just means that it is more likely than not. It's really just a hair over 50%. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt like you need for trial. You know, it's a much lower standard than that. So you just have to give judge a judge probable cause to believe that there has been a crime committed, that the person whose residence or the person whose person you're searching is the one who's committed it, and you expect there to be evidence of that crime found in a specific location. So a warrant has to be what we call particularized. And what that means is it has to cite particular places to be searched, particular things to be searched for. You cannot go on what we used to call a fishing expedition. You can't just go, you know, I just saw a guy that I watched deal drugs, you know, six months ago, walk into a house. I think we get to search that house. Let's just go search the whole house because there might be evidence of some crime there. That is not sufficient. You've got to have a connection, a nexus between the offender or the drug dealer that you suspect and that house. Is that a stash house? Is that a house where he deals drugs from? So there's all these mechanisms that have to be in place before a neutral judge, generally in the federal system, a magistrate judge who is not a presidential appointee. They're hired by the district court judges who are presidential appointees. And so a magistrate judge is usually the judge in the courthouse who signs off on warrants. And just so everybody knows, they're also specialists. And I heard a lot of people in the news complaining about the fact that it wasn't a district court judge that signed this. And while it seems to make sense, considering you're talking about a presidentially appointed judge and the former president, so you think you want that level of security, the truth is district court judges don't sign warrants. They don't read warrants. They don't read warrant applications. Um, and they're not the ones who hold the suppression hearings after a search has been done and there's been a prosecution. So it actually makes sense that a magistrate is the right one to sign off on that kind of warrant. Um, I feel like I'm talking too long, but to get to your last point, Tom, about great. whether this was overbroad, I have read the warrant very carefully. And it was definitely overbroad. You cannot tell me that you expect to find a particular kind of evidence of a particular crime and your, um, your range is all four years of President Trump's presidency. So anything and everything, literally everything generated in four years of Trump's presidency is uh, subject to seizure. That, that does not make sense to me. I, I think the warrant as signed, was unconstitutional. And I think, um, I hate to put it out there like this because I hate when I'm wrong, but uh, I think that there's a very good chance a judge later, if there was any criminal proceeding, would throw out every single thing seized from the president. So, uh, Francine, that was a great explanation of the process, again, because a lot of people aren't really familiar with the process and all these legal proceedings. So if I was to hear your, or summarize uh, your explanation, this really does look like a fishing expedition. 
Yeah, that's 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 exactly how I would put it. It really does look like a fishing expedition. They cited three different criminal statutes, um, but some of the things that support supposedly finding evidence of those three criminal statutes don't support it. For example, you can't tell me that every single document generated in four years of the president uh, of the president's term are criminal or proof of criminal dealings. It, it cannot be. It literally is overbroad. And then, of course, there's the debate that there's been going on in the country about the Espionage Act and the Presidential Records Act and whether or not President Trump or any president is actually even subject to those two provisions, which were passed by Congress. Of course, the president is a separate branch of government and he is a class. He is the ultimate classification authority. So it's not really clear whether the president can actually unlawfully hold classified or presidential records because he gets to decide what is classified and what is a presidential record. You know, getting to kind of the whole fairness argument here now, given it's the former president of the United States and given the fact, and you made reference to this before, that he may actually run and potentially he could run against President Biden, you would think the uh, threshold would be extremely high to make sure you had a very specific warrant and very specific crimes before you went in with the raid, because otherwise it would look sheer political. So to me, it looks like it's a really sloppy job and they didn't meet that sort of threshold that you would expect because this is an unprecedented effort. Yeah, Tom, that's a great point. It is unprecedented. This is just an extraordinary step to take in what looks very clearly like a document dispute. Now, there may have been, it's very difficult to know the truth, there may have been classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. Although Mar-a-Lago is a secure location, it is guarded by the Secret Service with limited access. That is almost the definition of a SCIF, a sensitive compartmented information facility. So I think there's a debate about whether those documents were actually being improperly stored. But going back to the beginning, Tom, as you suggested, the question is, what made the Department of Justice and the FBI think that a criminal search warrant against President Trump was the only step they could take now, because that's what a criminal warrant is supposed to be used for. When you've exhausted every other method, then you go to a criminal search warrant. And even then, when they decided to get a criminal search warrant, it could have been very narrowly tailored to the boxes of documents that had been seen and observed by some of those DOJ uh, personnel and the people from the National Archives. But that's not how the warrant was written. The warrant was written to seize every single production from the Trump presidency. And in addition, every prosecutor and every FBI agent understands that attorney-client privilege documents can never be seized, that things that are outside the scope of the warrant, for example, President Trump's medical records can't be seized. Even though the warrant was so broad that I think it may be unconstitutional, they still took things outside the scope of that warrant, seized them, and went through them. And that was also unlawful. I mean, I hesitate to call it theft, but if you <laughs> don't have a legal right to take something and you take something, what is what do you call it? It's, yeah. it's theft. So 
really, you can make an argument that they actually stole President Trump's medical records. And can I just say, I've seen former Attorney General Bill Barr on television, who I respect a great deal, talking about in criminal cases, you often take things like, he didn't say this exactly, but you often take things like a piece of mail, um, a, an envelope that would have the person who's living there, who you actually think committed the crime, their name is on the envelope, because you're trying to tie them to that location. So while that envelope in and of itself isn't evidence of the crime, it's evidence that the person lived there and it ties them to the crime. Is there really any question that they see stuff from President Trump's office? They took his passports. They have photographs of President Trump's office. The name of the office was 45 Office. Everyone knew that it was President Trump's residence, President Trump's office, President Trump's basement. So that argument to me um, is, it falls because it, it's just not applicable in this situation. Well, the other thing is the president was already working with uh, the FBI, correct, uh, to provide them with whatever information they were requesting previously. Plus, when the warrant was signed off on, they took, what, the weekend to, to uh, conduct the raid? So if it was such a rush of an emergency, why that window of time? Why did that window of time go by, A and B? He was already working with them. Isn't that correct? Because I, we had people approach us and say, uh, why didn't he just give up the documents? Or uh, you know, they didn't know anything about them already working with the feds, if you can just comment on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, one of the most frustrating things is when I read through the magistrate's order assigning a special master to review the evidence seized in this case, I noted her outline of the sequence of events very carefully. And this criminal referral came from the National Archives. And the archivist, who is a committed anti-Trumper, sent uh, a referral to the Department of Justice after he saw someone leaving the White House with a banker's box when the Trumps got on, an ele uh, got on the helicopter and left. And I thought to myself, so that's the allegation of a crime that opened a federal investigation was someone carrying a banker's box when a family moves out of a massive mansion. That's the kind of attitude, though, that you're dealing with. The FBI and the Department of Justice decline cases all the time. It happened all the time when I was here in Atlanta at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Cases that don't merit federal prosecution, that don't merit federal attention, that the FBI knows perfectly well will never get prosecuted, so they don't investigate it. They have that discretion, and they didn't exercise that discretion here. And I think it is because, honestly, here's my explanation, and it is three words, orange man bad. That's it. That's the that's the justification in their mind for everything crazy that they do that they would never do in anybody else's case. And so the magistrate, I mean, the district court judge went very carefully through the order. And Deneen, one of the things that I noticed was that the archivist was exchanging letters with President Trump's attorneys, and they said they were going to make available these um, boxes that they had already seized from the president in January of this year. They were going to make them available to the FBI starting um, no earlier than something like uh, May the 12th. Well, on May the 11th, the day before the FBI supposedly had ever been given access to these documents, was the day that the Department of Justice impaneled a grand jury to investigate 
President Trump for these supposed criminal violations? Do they not have anything else better to do when President Trump and his people had for 18 months been going back and forth about these documents than to impanel a grand jury about whether the former and possible future president of the United States has some documents in his basement that they don't think he should have? It does seem like, um, you know, a tempest in a teapot. I see lots of people who hate the president um, online talking about treason and the death penalty, and they've just gone completely around the bend when it comes yeah. to him. Yeah, the, the usual Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> Not only orange man bad, but anybody near orange man is bad, including, I guess, his wife, Melania, because they went into her closet and according to former President Trump, they also searched the room of his son, Barron, who I think he's 16 years old. Uh, you had mentioned in your view that this may indeed be unconstitutional. It may fit in under, like I guess, the Fourth Amendment, where it's an unreasonable search and seizure of you know, documents and possessions and property of, of a United States citizen by the government. And as you mentioned, they took the medical records, they took attorney-client privilege documents. Not only was this incredibly sloppy, I, I mean, who could just sign off on something that was just so sloppy? Go in with the bulldozer and take everything you want. Uh, it, like, it's not going to get extra scrutiny. But going forward from there, do you think President Trump really has a really good case to get this thing totally thrown out because of a violation of, of the Fourth Amendment? Um, I think that it is certainly possible or even likely that if they were to prosecute him using any of the materials that they seized under this warrant, that that material would be thrown out. Now, could they, I've tried to think of all these scenarios, could they possibly go back to the documents that he surrendered in January that weren't subject to a search warrant, that were just voluntarily given, and say that those same documents, which contained a kind of a mix of what they claim are presidential records and classified documents, could they use that as proof of that he violated these supposed statutes and then thereby avoid any controversy about the search warrant? They don't even put up any of that evidence. I think that's possible. I don't put anything past the people that hate him so much that they think it's appropriate to search Baron Trump's room as if President Trump is going to secrete classified documents under Baron Trump's bed. I mean, this is just the height of absurdity and shows you how much they hated him, how much the search team, how much the lawyers that were on site obviously had contempt and hatred for President Trump because you do not go into the suspect's wife's closet and the, and the child's room in a normal case where you've got a suspicion that the person might be a criminal, especially when you're talking about documents or fraud. It, it's ridiculous to think President Trump would secrete things in Melania's you know, underwear drawer or Barron's bed. It's crazy. I, this is one of the things that really bothers me is that not only are they incredibly sloppy, but they look like they broke all sorts of rules. And they're, at this point in the United States, there are no rules for, for certain people. They can do certain things to certain people. And you could have Hillary Clinton, who had uh, all State Department documents on her private server in her home or wherever else it was housed. 
And certainly there were classified information there and secret documents. I think even former FBI Director Comey mentioned that. So, you know, as a lawyer, I'm sure you're outraged because you spent your whole life trying to bring justice to people. But at this point, it is getting very frightening just to be a citizen to watch what they're doing to former President Trump. They do to former President Trump. Just think what they could do to you or me. That's right. President Trump has, you know, an entourage. He's got Secret Service agents to protect him. He's got a platform. Uh, You know, what about us? You're absolutely right about that, Tom. And I think for me, the most frustrating thing about this is the idea of selective prosecution or two-tiered justice. And that's exactly what we have here. Even Jim Comey, who's definitely not a Trump fan, said that Hillary Clinton had classified documents running around in her email server, which is, by the way, not protected in the basement of Mar-a-Lago in a hard copy. It's in a server that's bouncing all over the world and completely insecure and open to foreign penetration. And in fact, I believe that the inspector general later found that that server was subject to penetration by foreign governments. So the fact that they completely excused Hillary Clinton, they did not want to prosecute her, they never even dreamed of it, and in fact have never prosecuted her or even really investigated her. There were no search warrants in the case of her emails, not one. There were no grand jury subpoenas in the case of her emails, not one. Uh, There were a bunch of immunity agreements given to people who were representing Hillary Clinton as lawyers and then who sat in with Hillary Clinton during her interview, which is a massive conflict of interest. They treated her with kid gloves in a way they definitely haven't treated President Trump. I mean, did they go in anywhere Hillary lived? with a search team and take everything from her time as secretary of state? Did anyone go when she and president Clinton left the white house, retrieve the furniture that they unlawfully took out of the white house? No, people tried to get the Rose law firm documents that appeared years later, but no one executed a search warrant on, on Hillary Clinton. So you're right, Tom, that for me as a prosecutor who's dedicated my entire life to the cause of justice, Um, it's very frustrating. It is frightening, I think, as an American citizen, wondering what has happened to the Department of Justice that I so loved and was so proud to serve for 10 years. I was just telling my husband the other day that the moment I stood up in court after I became an assistant United States attorney, the first time I appeared in court and stood up and said, Francie Hakes, United States, I got chills and I got chills every time I said it, because to me, it meant something. It meant honor and integrity and justice. And I just don't see it today. I don't understand who's making these decisions. We used to have a somewhat impartial DOJ, you know, attorneys general would think about uh, precedent and they would think about what's going to happen the next time. And so they wouldn't prosecute a case if they thought it was going to hurt them. They won't declassify documents if they think it might hurt the country. And all that is just tossed out the window because again, I hate to quote myself, orange man bad. Right. And and to just follow up on that point, look, we had two impeachments to lower the bar of impeachments. Now they've lowered the bar to raid a former president's home. I mean, how much... (laughs) There are no more standards, and that is. There's no uh, more bar. There's no bar. (laughs) There is no bar. No bar. They've destroyed the reputation of you know little sidebar of many institutions, including the National Institutes of Health. People are now afraid to not only get the COVID vaccine; they're afraid to get any vaccine. And that we're starting to see 
polio uh, starting to uh, rear his ugly head. So now we're living in a, in a land of chaos, and that's why we're so happy to have you here uh, to explain these facts because there's so much misinformation out there, and it's important for all of us to play a role that we can to try to educate and motivate people to what the real rules are and how they're being broken. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly happy to help any way I can. No, we appreciate it. And I'm thinking about the younger generation and what, what, what could they be possibly thinking, watching and seeing everything that's going on. I mean, we're supposed to be the adults in the room and the, you got the adults breaking things and breaking the rules all the time. Um, you mentioned the word frightening a few minutes ago. And one thing I find very frightening is how some of the media outlets are covering this. Uh, there are so many lies that are being circulated. I'm so glad you are able to uh, just really put everything out to try to explain to people what the actual truth is and what the process should be. If you could just comment about what we're seeing and hearing in the media and how they were doing a disservice to the country. Well, the, you know, the first thing we heard, I, I think I was on a, on a, television program right after we first heard, right after the raid, when it was clear that the public, or at least a good portion of the public, were outraged about the fact of the raid at all, we started getting our first leaks. And that first leak indicated that there were some sort of nuclear secrets that had been uh, taken from President Trump, and that that was why it was so urgent and such an emergency, which of course, as you noted earlier, Janine, it couldn't have been an emergency as it took 18 months to do it. And then three whole days they waited to execute the search warrant. So they really didn't feel it was emergency, but they had to tell us that it was an emergency after. And so I think that to me is part of what I don't know what the lies and the truth definitely are in this case, because the Department of Justice is leaking like a sieve. I don't know whether President Trump actually had a document that was still classified that contained the nuclear secrets of an ally or even an enemy. I don't know because I can't trust the Department of Justice because I recall when the Department of Justice and Congress, like Congressman Adam Schiff, were leaking that President Trump had a well-established conspiracy that he was engaging in with Vladimir Putin and the Russian government to throw the 2016 election. Um, that was a leak that we got that was with, said with high confidence. We couldn't talk about the evidence because it was very secret, but we know it with high confidence. Well, that was just an absolute bald-faced lie. And so I don't know whether President Trump really had that or not. I have no idea what they actually found at his residence, and I have no idea whether any of that was actually unlawful for him to have. I tend to think no. I also tend to think there were lots of better ways to get these documents uh, out of Mar-a-Lago than what they did. I think that, you know, you have President or sorry, former Attorney General Bill Barr also said recently on the news that he thought that the district court judge um, ignored the law when she ordered a special master be appointed to review the evidence. Well, I don't know how he says that. And he didn't actually give an example. He didn't cite what law the district court judge was wrong about her. I've read a lot of court orders, lots of bad court orders. This was actually a very well-written, well-reasoned court order based on the federal rules of criminal procedure and prior case law. She cited every single rule and law that she needed to cite in order to make her decision about a special master. So 
I don't trust anything the media says right now, Deneen. I'm not saying it's all lies, but I now, whenever I hear the walls are closing in or President Trump is going to be, you know, frog marched out of Mar-a-Lago any second now, I always wait about 48 hours because pretty soon you learn that that's not true. That's a great point. I mean, yeah, exactly. With the whole Russia Gate thing, it was a whole thing. And then we find out it's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Why am I laughing? She was behind it the whole time. And and Trump was the one who's colluding with Russia and a foreign agent, uh, but not not her and uh, Mr. Steele, who was you know UK resident, I imagine. Uh, now you mentioned this the special master. Could you explain exactly what this individual is going to do? What documents are going to be separated? Uh, and on what basis? Yeah, um, a special master is really just someone who is neutral, someone who has no skin in the game. They're not either party. They're not, uh, you know, from the Trump camp. It's not one of his lawyers. It's not a DOJ official or an FBI agent. It's someone completely neutral. It's almost always someone like a retired federal judge or a retired uh, lawyer with a high security clearance that everybody trusts. So it's going to be one of those two sort of things. And that person will be reviewing all, I want to say it was 11,000 documents that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. They'll be reviewing all of those and they'll be looking at certain categories. Um, They will not be looking to decide whether these documents and items were seized lawfully under the search warrant. That will not be their task. Their task will be to separate out attorney-client privilege information, other kind of privilege information, um, and things like personal information that shouldn't have been taken, like medical records. But they will not be weighing in on whether the items taken were outside the scope of the warrant generally. They'll just be, you know, siphoning off the items that the government cannot then use in any potential investigation or future prosecution. So they will say, these documents are fine to seize. These documents, not only shouldn't you have seized them generally, but you can't use them. But they won't be weighing in on the legality of the search warrant. Are you aware of where these actual documents are physically? And how do we know something nefarious won't be done with them? Oh, boy, I sure would like to say that it would be a conspiracy theory to think evidence could be planted. (laughs) I'd like to say that. Um, But at this point, like I said, I I think the hatred for Trump is just so strong that I don't know what people might do, where the documents are right now. They are most likely sitting in FBI headquarters in a skiff, so in a sensitive compartment and information facility, which has very limited access. When I worked in the skiff at the Department of Justice, when I worked in front of the FISA court there, um, you know, you, it's a special level at the Department of Justice. There are no windows. Um, it's controlled access. So in other words, in order to even get in the door, you have to do your fingerprints in order to get in and put in a code. So it's like dual verification in order to get in. So it will be in a very tightly controlled, well, of course, almost all the FBI headquarters is considered a skiff um, in large part. So it's probably in a secured conference room or an actual skiff itself, which is basically just a big room. Uh, and they should have controlled access. People should have to sign in and sign out and they shouldn't be allowed to take documents out of that room, uh, at least not the classified doc, the ones that are marked classified anyway. Okay, thank you for explaining that. Yeah, really, that, that helps. Uh, executive privilege, uh, does President Trump have it still? 
<laughs> could you define it for us? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question that <laughs> I'm not sure I can answer. The, the district court judge who requested or ordered the special master, she made a really interesting point because I think several months ago I had heard, as most of us did, that President Biden had waived President Trump's executive privilege. Well, according to the district court judge, that's not actually even what happened. What happened was President Biden told the archivist, that is the archivist of the United States, that it was up to him that he got to decide whether or not President Trump's <laughs> claim of privilege for the documents should stand. And the archivist, really? a known Trump hater, said, oh, no, 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 you don't get executive privilege. Now, supposedly, the archivist consulted with an office inside the Department of Justice that's called the Office of Legal Counsel, OLC. OLC is kind of like the lawyers for the lawyers, right? right? Everybody from the White House to the Supreme Court to everyone you can think of in the legal community highly respects the opinions that come out of the smarty smart people that work inside the Office of Legal Counsel. All they do all day is study areas of law and write opinions on whether something is or isn't legal. And the curious thing about this is while the archivist says that he consulted with the Office of Legal Counsel, I have not seen an opinion come out from the Office of Legal Counsel. And the Attorney General Merrick Garland never mentioned the words OLC. He never right. said that in his statement. I haven't heard anybody official from DOJ say that. And let me tell you something. If they have an OLC opinion that helps them, we would know about yeah. it already. They would be issuing it publicly because those opinions are meant for public consumption. So it's odd to me that the archivist says he got this opinion from the lawyer's lawyers before he waived President Trump's executive privilege. But that's the other thing the district court said in her order for special master that was so fascinating. She cited a couple of cases, some recent um, dicta, some recent statements by some of the Supreme Court justices that tells her that maybe... Um, a current or incumbent administration cannot waive the privilege of the prior administration. So my guess is that the Supreme Court might hold something like this. They might say, even if the prior administration doesn't want to assert executive privilege, the current administration can because they have an interest. But if the current administration doesn't want to assert the privilege for the prior, the prior gets to do it. I mean, that makes sense. Think about it. What's the point of executive privilege? The point is so that the president can get unvarnished, sometimes um, unpopular or even crazy opinions from his advisors before making really important decisions. And are those advisors going to give him unvarnished opinions if they know when the next administration takes office, all those crazy unvarnished Great opinions point. are going to be out in the air? I don't think so. So he won't or she won't get the advice that they need to make decisions. So it really doesn't make sense to me that the incumbent administration can waive the privilege of the past, especially when the incumbent administration was the opponent of the past administration and a potential future opponent and the opposite party. So I don't know. I think she's got a great point. I think executive privilege is a really interesting uh, point of law that we may very well hear more about as this goes on. 
<laughs> to end of this, we're all going to be uh, lawyers. <laughs> like That's right. Not. <laughs> That's right. Just take the bar. It's not hard. <laughs> That's right. I guess I passed my PhD qualifying exam. I guess I could do uh, You that, could definitely but... <laughs> do it, Tom. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but no, thank. that was a, a, a great discussion because I never really heard yeah. the, the the context around the, uh, the Office of Legal Counsel. I've heard it previously, you know, for other matters, but that's a great point that if they had something, you would know about it. Uh, it's kind of like a CBO score. If they have it, they use it. If right. they don't like the score, they try not to uh, uh, make it new. So I thought that was a great point. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, of course. Well, is there, well, one more question, actually. Do you think the DOJ will indict President Trump? And if so, based on what? Oh, Deneen, you're asking me to prognosticate. Um, you know, in, in, in just in normal times, I would say <laughs> no way, you know, no right. way would they indict him. It's so, uh, the case is almost impossible to prove. It's going to be in litigation for years. There's uh, all kinds of, of hurdles that are going to happen. I mean, there's going to be immediate appeals and all kinds of bad law. And that's the thing that DOJ should be focusing on. This warrant is bad law. Um, you, you, do not, you can't make a good case with bad facts. You can't make good law with bad facts. And what they have here are bad facts. They've got an overbroad search warrant. They have a real lack of justification in executing it and the most extraordinary target of a search warrant ever in the history of the country. So for all those reasons, they're going to be making a lot of precedent if they move forward with a prosecution. And I would say a normal, cautious attorney general would say it's not worth it. Whatever the, whatever the prosecution might bring, it isn't worth it because we might be setting ourselves up for failure in the future in other cases because of the precedent we're setting because this guy might win a variety of claims in litigation. So I would normally say that, that, that no, it's unlikely. But gosh, uh, again, I think the derangement against President Trump is so strong and the drumbeat on the left is so loud to indict him, not just to indict him, but have him executed for treason, for goodness sake ridiculous people. Um, even if you're not a Trump supporter, some of these people have really gone off the, off the edge. Then I don't know if they really feel that political pressure, maybe they will indict him. So I'm sorry, Janine, I can't answer your question because it is really hard for me to predict how crazy they are there on the fifth floor at the Department of Justice. Sure. No, I, I, I get it. Um, is there anything we have not covered that you would like for the viewers and listeners to know about that perhaps they're not hearing about in the news? You know, I think you I think you've asked me some really interesting questions. And I think that the point about the warrant being overbroad and them seizing the thing that drives me the most crazy, I guess this is one point, And maybe this is just because I'm a lawyer, but uh, the Department of Justice, when they were opposing the judge's order about the special master. They actually said that President Trump had no standing, that's a concept in the law, had no standing to complain. In other words, he <laughs> has no dog in the fight. He has no um, issue. It's, it's, he has no say in the stuff that they seized. They claim that was because they were seizing documents that didn't belong to him in the first place. Well, I'd, I think that might surprise every drug dealer in this country 
from whom they seize cash and ledgers and drugs that he has no standing to complain that they came into his house and took things out like his clothing and got DNA off it. Because, because why? It's President Trump's house. First, it's President Trump's house. But also, they took his medical records and his passports and correspondence with his lawyers and his accountants. Those are, by very definition, Trump's private property that they took outside the scope of the warrant. So the thing that actually made me, like, steaming angry was that they lied to the court claiming he had no standing. They know that's not true. He absolutely has standing to complain about the search at his home and the seizure of his private things. And yet they made the argument anyway. That drove me crazy. Yeah. I can understand why. (laughs) It's probably a dumb question. Will, Will there be anyone held accountable for any of this? Oh, Deneen, sadly. Was anyone held accountable for the Russia hoax? You had that one FBI lawyer, Kevin Kleinsmith, who was prosecuted, convicted, had his bar license taken, and then reinstated. He's been reinstated to the District of Columbia bar. So that guy who lied to get a FISA warrant, the, the most secret kind of warrant we have in this country, against an American citizen, has his license to practice law restored. So will anyone be held accountable? I find that highly doubtful. Frustrating. You know, absolutely um, infuriating, but doubtful. Yeah. Uh, So we covered everything, I think. Uh, I think this was I think so. I can't, yeah. (laughs) Look, I've got a list. I went through the president, I mean, the uh, district court's order. I've got pages of notes, but I think we've covered it all. This has been Reigniting Liberty with Tom and Deneen Borelli, the truth in black and white. For exclusive video footage of these interviews, be sure to follow Deneen Borelli on CloudHub at Deneen Borelli. And also make sure to visit DeneenBorelli.com. Follow Tom Borelli on Twitter at Tom Borelli. And follow Deneen at Deneen Borelli. Subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reigniting Liberty, the truth in black and white.